Welcome back to A Push for Understanding. This is Brinkley, Chapter 29 of Vietnam. And um, we're now in the 1960s, so congratulations us, we're in the 1960s. Um, you know, the 1960s, uh, it's been called the decade that lasted 10 years. Um, and you can look it up, but the 1960s did last 10 years. Um, that That's what counts as a joke on this podcast, by the way. Um, <laughs> look... My job is to educate you, not to entertain you, and that's about as much entertainment as you're going to get. So anyway, now to something less entertaining, Vietnam. So uh, we're not talking about Vietnam right away, but um, we are talking about Kennedy's administration, uh, the Kennedy administration. So Kennedy is elected in 1960. Um, yeah, he's he's elected in 1960, um, and he presents this uh, kind of new kind of policy or um, achievement or goal, uh, which is coined the New Frontier, which um, is just a list of reforms and policies and social programs that he wants Congress to pass. Um, but once he's elected, can't get a lot of them done because Congress is um, conservative or just unwilling to go along with his policies. Um, but once he is assassinated, uh, by the way, Kennedy's assassinated. Spoiler alert. That's also what counts as a joke. Our, our, the quality of jokes get worse and worse as the episode goes on. Just so you know. So anyway, once Kennedy's assassinated, the Johnson administration uh, takes charge because, you know, Kennedy can no longer. Um, and his kind of reforms are called the Great Society. And Johnson is able to pass a lot of these reforms, mainly because Johnson is the Senate uh, what well, well, was the Senate majority majority leader at one point. And so he has a lot of connections in the Senate um, and in Congress in general. And so he's able to more effectively campaign and lobby senators to get what he wants done. Um, so his reforms, again, called uh, kind of the Great Society reforms. Uh, one of, or, well, two of these reforms, um, I guess three, it's difficult to count. <laughs> um Two of these reforms, I suppose, are Medicare and Medicaid. Medicare is basically a government health care program, although it's not really. It's it's a government, um, it's basically a way for the government to aid people uh, trying to get health care. And then Medicaid is to help people who need to pay health care. Um, Medicaid is basically to uh, aid the poor and the elderly um, to be able to, or to help pay their prescriptions and their medicine and the drugs they need. Um, you know, to keep them alive, because, you know, government, government needs to keep people alive to be functioning. So Medicare and Medicaid are government social programs. They're the biggest social programs passed since the Roosevelt administration. That's the second Roosevelt administration, by the way, um, not the first one. Um, and then the kind of second government initiative is, well, it's three of them. It's the Alliance for Progress, it's aid, and it's uh, the Peace Corps. But all three of these um, programs are basically kind of a shift um, from containment and foreign wars and foreign policy, basically trying to recover the third world countries who had been uh, pressured by the United States and Soviet Union and been caught up in the Cold War, basically trying to rebuild and invest in these countries. Uh, because America has started to realize, like, um, if we can stop wars before they start, um, that saves lives. And that's beneficial for us. And so America starts 
investing in third world countries instead of fighting in third world countries. It's not to say they're not, uh, they, they weren't fighting in third world countries. It's just, they were also building up third world countries. Um, and the biggest, the biggest kind of policy or push in this is, um, Latin America, which is, uh, kind of the rest of North America and all of South America, um, who America really wants to build our relationship up with because they are our closest neighbors. And if they turn communist, uh, the Soviet Union can exploit them. Like Cuba. Cuba turns communist. Fidel Castro overthrows uh, the Cuban government, takes control. And so the CIA uh, kind of takes in some uh, Cuban fighters who flee from the island of Cuba, um, begins training them and arming them, and sends over 2,000 of them uh, to land in Cuba, along with air support, and they also expect an uprising from the Cuban citizens, um, and eventually Castro will be overthrown and killed. Except that doesn't happen, because uh, Kennedy wants to hide the involvement of the United States in this operation, and so the United States Air Force pulls out pulls out at the last minute, so they don't get foreign help or uh, air support. And that uprising they were uh, expecting doesn't happen. And so Castro is completely fine, uh, and these Cuban fighters all pretty much die right away. Um, and so it's kind of a big disaster for America, a kind of a complete disaster for America, frankly, um, which is overshadowed by Vietnam, which is an even bigger disaster for America. So, you know, 1960s. <laughs> um, so after these uh, Cuban soldiers that we sent all die, um, we impose an embargo on the United, or on Cuba and basically say that no ships uh, can get in or out of Cuba uh, and any well I guess any ship that wants to get in or out of Cuba needs to be searched before it passes through and um, America embargoes uh, Cuba basically shuts down all travel between Cuba and the rest of the world for about um, I think it's 13 days we come extremely close to nuclear war in fact um, if it wasn't for one beautiful general on a Soviet ship who vetoed uh, the two other generals on the ship to fire the uh, fire a nuclear torpedo at a U.S. Uh, battleship or at the United States, uh, we would, uh, you know, all be dead. So, yay, we're not all dead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We wouldn't have died. All of our ancestors would have died and we would have never lived. Um... But anyway, Cuban Missile Crisis is a big disaster, um, pretty much for the world. Uh, well, I guess it's not a disaster for the world. It's more of a, uh, it's the peak of the Cold War. From here, it gets better. Um, I mean, it really doesn't get better. It does get better, but it doesn't get that much better. <laughs> um, so, again, I hope, I hope it's very clear at this point. I'm horrible with names, and so I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Um, but the South or the leader of South Vietnam uh, was backed by the United States and begins uh, kind of drawing the United States into the Vietnam uh, War before it even starts. He's facing a lot of religious groups and ethnic groups inside Vietnam who want to uh, overthrow his government. And initially he has a lot of successes with it. However, um, he kind of gets uh, not so good at this and then gets assassinated. And then uh, his government is replaced with an uh, even more unstable government. And then uh, basically 
that government gets replaced and then more government replacement and South Vietnam is really just a big disaster. Um, and so America has to continue propping up these um, unstable governments and investing a lot of money into Vietnam, basically into uh, South Vietnam for the sake of showing or trying to show that capitalism works and communism doesn't work. But it doesn't, uh, doesn't really work in South Vietnam because you can't just say this country is good, please work. You can't just tell the government to work because you want it to work. So uh, eventually North and South Vietnam uh, go to war and the Viet Cong begin their invasion of South Korea. Or not South Korea, uh, that would be a much different war. Uh, the South or the Viet Cong invade uh, South Vietnam and the United States eventually uh, has this Gulf of Tonkin incident. Uh, which is very controversial. Um, basically, a basically the story goes that a North Viet or the the North Viet Cong fired a torpedo at one of our battleships, and it blew up. And um, that's our justification for getting into the war. Now, in actuality, probably didn't happen that way. It's kind of like the Spanish uh, American War, where um, you know the USS Maine sank. We blamed it. We blamed the main on Spain, and we got involved in the war. So, likely the Gulf of Tonk Tonkin incident didn't go down how the U.S. government said it did, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't really matter for history purposes because ultimately, the United States passes the Gulf of or the Tonkin Gulf Resolution, um, in which Congress says that the government can use uh, whatever necessary tools it has at its disposal. Um, to ensure that retrib retribution and revenge is gotten on the um, Viet Cong. Basically saying the United States is at war with North Vietnam. Um, and that brings us in to Vietnam completely. Um, we send a lot of troops into Vietnam and 70,000 people end up dying in Vietnam. Um, then on January 31st, uh, we have the Tet Offensive. I believe that's how you say it. Again, not very good with names. Definitely not very good with Vietnamese names, but I believe it's the Tet Offensive um, in which the Vietnamese, uh, or the Viet Cong, launch um, a sweeping attack into South Vietnam, capture a lot of cities, capture... Uh, oh no, I just forgot the name. Saigon! Saigon. Uh, they capture Saigon, um, in which the American military is seen quite famously as escaping in helicopters in the last seconds. Um, and this is really televised um, and really heavily covered by the media. And war crimes on both sides um, are captured. Um, and it really just gives the American people kind of the image of war. Uh, especially guerrilla warfare in the streets of Saigon, and it gives the Americans kind of reason, like, why are we in Vietnam? What what are we doing in Vietnam right now? And why are all these people dying um, for communism? Just our fear of our fear of communism is leading to so much death. Like, what's the point of being here right now? And so, um, that's kind of the big thing that's been happening recently. No recently, I suppose, but within the last 50 years, uh, with the telev with television being so widely available, 
governments have had a really hard time controlling their citizens and controlling the way they think um, and spreading propaganda. Because if you can see uh, what the media is reporting, if you can see the war crimes being reported, um, you can't really unsee those things. And uh, it's difficult for governments to then swoop in and say, no, 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 what you're seeing is not real. Um, believe us, the government, because ultimately no one really trusts the government. Um, so governments have had a really hard time in the past 50 years of covering up their war crimes, Russia and Ukraine, the United States and Kosovo and Iraq and Afghanistan, the Saudis in um, Yemen, the Israelis in Palestine. Um, oh boy, I mentioned the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and now, oh boy, try to forget I said anything about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, anyway, um, in the Democratic National Convention, yeah, we're we're switching, we're we're getting off the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We are not talking about that here. Um, I do not have enough time, and I have like three hours, um, to, uh, to do homework, so... It really says something about how horrible <laughs> the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is. Uh, anyway, Democratic National Convention, Robert F. Kennedy is assassinated. I don't think his middle name is F. Um, Robert Kennedy is assassinated um, in Chicago, I believe, by, oh no, a Palestinian, <laughs> a Palestinian extremist. <laughs> um, okay. Forget anything I said about Palestine again. Um, yeah, so he's assassinated, and it basically paves the way for Herbert Humphrey uh, to sweep the uh, sweep the primary and win the primary election. However, uh, Herbert Humphrey is a pro-Vietnam War Democrat, and that is not popular um, in the Democratic Party at this point. And so uh, there's some protests going on in Chicago, which eventually lead um, to um, the police trying to disperse them with tear gas. And um, it basically turns into a riot in Chicago. There's a lot of fighting um, across street blocks in Chicago. And um, again, nationally televised, the media captures, captures it all. Uh, the government's unable to really hide anything or cover it up. Uh, and the protesters shout, the whole world is watching, basically saying that Everything's being televised. Uh, you know, this government control and these uh, kind of big government moves where they're trying to uh, kind of stifle dissent uh, within the government is not going to be covered up anymore. And so uh, kind of the National Convention is a complete disaster for the Democrats and paves the way for Richard Nixon to win the election. And Richard Nixon ends up being a great president, if you don't count uh, Watergate and his kind of homophobia, and his misogyny, and his hatred of the Jews, and his ramping up of Vietnam, and he was not a very good president. Um, <laughs> but again, I always get too ha too far ahead of myself, that's in the 1970s, we'll wait until then. So, uh, 1968 election, Nixon pretty much sweeps the, ele the election, um, but does not win the majority, which is important. Uh, George Wallace um, kind of stops both candidates from coming close to winning a majority. George Wallace is a Dixiecrat, if you will. Uh, he's kind of a uh, racist. Um, 
who's really sweeping up the conservative movement in the 1960s. Uh, because of so much change, you have the civil rights movement, kind of known for what the 1960s is, and the uh, Vietnam War anti-war sentiment going on in the United States. So there's a lot of change and extreme change. And so typically when there's extreme change, conservatives uh, typically rally around a candidate or candidates, and the country kind of gets tired of so much change going on. So George Wallace and Richard Nixon, two conservatives, end up winning a lot of support. George Wallace does not, uh, you know, win the election, but he does win. Uh, polls show him winning about 20% uh, at some point. So um, he, he did end up winning a few states, but not enough, not even close to enough uh, to win him the election. But Richard Nixon uh, is able to win the election. So... Um, basically, if I had to summarize uh, the 1960s with one word, it's chaos. <laughs> uh, you have the Vietnam War, you have the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., of uh, JFK, and of Robert Kennedy. You have the Tet Offensive and uh, kind of the Vietnam War going on there. You have conservatism uh, rising. You have the kind of pressure and the clashing between racists like George Wallace and um, kind of... Uh, the Civil Rights Movement. You have Richard Nixon, who does not turn out to be a very good president. You have the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Bay of Pigs invasion. You have the overthrowing of multiple South Vietnam or Z South Vietnamese uh, governments, um, and you have kind of just chaos. And somehow America makes it out the other end of the 1960s with actually a lot of good change. We get the civil rights movement, we get a lot of, we paved the way for the stone, uh, Stonewall riots or Stonewall protests, which lead to gay marriage being legalized. Um, and we get the, uh, well, we get our troops out of Vietnam eventually. So um, in chaos, there's always a silver lining to a cloud. So uh, I believe that's all I wanted to say. And trust me, I said a lot in only about 18 minutes, so something. Um, yeah, so I think that's all I wanted to say, and I hope you learned something new, and I hope you'll come back for the next podcast, which is going to be very important. Uh, but you you, you got to wait and see, or you don't have to wait and see, depending on when you're watching this. Uh, so, bye. <laughs>